0: I'm Pastor Richard Gamble, and the following message is made available by First Baptist Church of Bastrop, Louisiana. To find out more about First Baptist Bastrop, go to www.firstbastrop.org. That's www.firstbastrop.org. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word And Lord, as we come to this time of the preaching of your word, we pray that you would write its eternal truth upon all our hearts. Lord, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts willing to obey. Open our hearts to the truth of your word. And help us, Lord, to see what it requires of us. And greater still, Lord, let us see how it points us even more to Jesus. So bless this time, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5. Deuteronomy chapter 5. We're looking at verse 21 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 21. Today we come to the tenth and final commandment of the Ten Commandments. The last one, we've been ten Sundays now. Uh, we, we had a little, little bump there. We, we skipped a couple of Sundays as we were observing Easter. But uh, ten Sundays we've spent on the Ten Commandments. And so as we wind this down and we come to this last commandment, uh, we kind of reflect back on where we've been. When we began our study in the ten, of the Ten Commandments, right off the bat, w- bat we, we noticed that the Ten Commandments were a kind of, of bill of rights, right? They, they served as kind of a, a bill of rights in God's covenant with his people. Kind of like the U.S. Constitution, we have a bill of rights in our Constitution. But we noticed some differences, didn't we? We noticed one peculiar difference between United States bill of rights and God's bill of rights Uh, the U.S. bill of rights is me focused it's about my individual rights what's what's my rights as a citizen of the United States but God's bill of rights it's not me focused it's other focused it's focused on others it's focused on God's rights and my neighbor's rights, not necessarily my rights. It, it governs how I respond and how I uh, interact with others, God and neighbor. We see this in the the layout of the Ten Commandments. The first half of the Ten Commandments, the first four commandments, is God word. It's God focused. It's focused on God's rights, if you will. We saw that uh, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, deals with God's authority, will have no other authority over God. You shall not carve, have no carved images, no carved images that represent God and degrade God, having to do with God's dignity. The third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, has to do with our commitment to revere God and uphold him as holy and the fourth commandment you shall remember the sabbath day and to keep it holy well that had to do with god's rights and privileges his right to have a day reserved in our week to worship him and to commit to following him that day worshiping him together as god's people the second half of the commandments the the final six commandments deals with our relationship with our neighbor relationship with others the fifth commandment honor your father and your mother it's not similar to the first now it has to do with authority right it's it's respecting god ordained human authorities parents being the first human authority that first stage of government commandments 6 7 and 8 all kind of have to do with human dignity Respecting human dignity. Commandment number six, you shall not murder, has to do with respecting human dignity by revering human life. Commandment number seven, you shall not commit adultery, has to do with respecting human dignity by respecting purity. The eighth commandment, you shall not steal, has to do with respecting human dignity by respecting other people's property. And then last week we looked at you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, which has to do with our commitment to love our neighbor by committing to truth, being honest and walking integrity with our neighbor. And so today we come to the 10th commandment. But at the 10th commandment, we see another peculiarity about God's Bill of Rights. You see, most laws govern human action you just think about our own laws our own laws they are meant to govern human action you shall not steal right you you don't steal don't don't go carry out the act of stealing so human laws typically deal with action but when we get to the 10th commandment god's law doesn't just regulate action god's law regulates even Motives and desires. It regulates motives and desires, the inward intentions of the heart. Look at the 10th the commandment, Deuteronomy 5 21 And you shall not covet, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house his field, or his male servant, or his female servant, his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Now, the Hebrew words for covet and desire are synonymous. And, And so what the law is requiring here is that we not covet, we shall not desire anything that belongs to our neighbor. You see, it regulates it aims to regulate those human those inward motives of the heart those inward desires of the heart do not covet do not desire to say it positive positively to put it in a positive light love your neighbor by controlling your attitudes and motives that's the heart of this this commandment We're called to love your neighbor. You're called to love your neighbor by controlling not just your actions, not just those outward actions, but by controlling your inner inner attitudes and your motives. Jesus understood that loving God and loving others begins not just with our actions. He understood that our love for God and others begins with our attitudes, our motives. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. It's that inward attitude, that anger that's a an emotion even the, the emotion without the action you're guilty of murder going on he says you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery but i say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart That inward motive, that inward desire is sin. And that's what we find in the 10th commandment. We we, We don't just live in obedience to God's law by accomplishing the outward appearance, but God wants us to regulate our hearts, He wants us to regulate our desires. To have control over our lusts we are called not to covet you do not love your neighbor through outward actions you demonstrate love for your neighbor by controlling your inward attitudes motives and desires toward your neighbor so today as we consider the 10th commandment you shall not covet I want to take two, two actions here. First, I want, to, uh, want us to consider what covetousness is. What covetousness is. And then second, I want us to look at the cure for covetousness. So what covetousness is. Let's define it. Let's understand what it is. And then let's understand the cure for covetousness. How do we fight against covetousness? So first of all, What covetousness is, what covetousness is, that's a mouthful by the way, I'm having to be very, very careful, what covetousness is, covetousness first is not, let's do the negative, it is not the desire for advancement, right, it's not just the mere desire for advancement, it's not just a desire of of wanting something, we all want different things in life, right we we want to have a successful career a lot of y'all remember you know being young being on fire first starting out in your career you want to be successful right you want to make a good living you want to provide for your family and that's good and great and wonderful Sometimes we want other things, right? We we want a nicer house, we want a nicer vehicle. Nothing wrong with that just a basic desire, a want for certain things. In fact, the Bible values industry, doesn't it? The Bible values industry. Proverbs uh, chapter 12 verse 11 says, "Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lack sense so the bible values hard work be diligent in your work work hard to make a living and god will give you success proverbs 20 5 the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So the Bible tells us we're to work hard, we're to make plans, we're to look to the future, plan for success. There's nothing wrong with that. The Bible values industry. The Bible also encourages the pursuit of good things. There are wonderful things in life to pursue. I just think of Hannah. You remember Hannah back there in 1 Samuel hannah longed for a child she longed for a child she she went to the temple and and she wept and prayed at the temple lord god give me a child just give me a child give me a child she desired a good thing she desired a child and and praise god god granted her desire and and gave her young samuel and she devoted Samuel to the Lord it's good to desire certain things and of course it's it's good to long for more of the Lord Psalms 21 or excuse me Psalms 42 1 says as the as a deer pants for flowing streams so pants my soul for you Lord I long for you Lord I want more of you Lord Like a thirsty deer, I thirst for you, Lord. Give me more of you. It's a good thing to want more of the Lord, to desire more of the Lord. So just plain desire, plain want, that's not covetousness. It's not desire to want to be successful. It's not the desire of of wanting to advance in life. That's not covetousness. I think about, Myself, you know, I, I would love to have a brand-new red Chevy Silverado Z71, right? I would love to have a brand-new truck loaded out with leather seats that are heated and cooled. And I, I would love to have something like that. There's nothing wrong with that. And if I wanted to work hard and try to, to buy that truck, then, hey, so be it. That in itself is not covetousness. Wanting stuff is not necessarily covetousness. Not necessarily covetousness. Simple desire is not sin. Simple desire is not covetousness. But what is covetousness? Well, let's think about that. What is covetousness? Covetousness is longing for other people's stuff. That's at the heart of covetousness. Covetousness is longing for, desiring, lusting after other people's stuff. This is where covetousness steps on the rights and privileges of of others, of our neighbor. And it breaks God's commandment to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's longing for our neighbor's stuff. James chapter 4 verses 2 through 3 you desire and do not have so you murder you desire and do not have so you murder you covet and cannot obtain so you fight and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask you do not ask and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions you see it's a desire a lust for other people's stuff why would you murder stuff because he's got it and I want it so I'm going to take his life to get it why would you quarrel over possessions because he's got it I want it and I'll do anything I can do to get it from him that's at the heart of covetousness it's looking at what your neighbor has and saying I want that it's fine to look at your neighbor's house and say man man they got a really nice house I would like to have a house like that someday. Young men living in church, you know, un- unmarried young men, you young, young men who are not married, it's fine to look at someone, a godly woman at the church and say, man, one day I hope God gives me a wife like her. Right? It, it's okay to desire things like what your neighbor has what's wrong is when you say i want that i want my neighbor's house and i don't care what i have to do to get that house right through crook or hook i'm going to get that house i'm going to get that car i'm going to get that possession no matter what no matter what scheme it takes no matter what i gotta do lie cheat and steal to get it i want that possession it's that attitude that longing for other people's stuff their possessions and you want it at all cost so covetousness is a longing for other people's stuff furthermore covetousness is an attitude of ingratitude covetousness is an attitude of ingratitude When you covet other people's stuff, you demonstrate that you are, number one, you are ungrateful for what you have. You're ungrateful for what you have. You're ungrateful for what God has provided for you. You're ungrateful for what God has provided you. Let's go back to the truck illustration here. Think about that. I I would love to have a brand new red uh, uh, Chevy Silverado Z71. I would love to have that truck. That's one thing. All right, that's a desire. I May never get realize that desire. Who cares? But but that's a desire. It's quite another thing to loathe the truck I have now. Yeah, my tr- my truck's not a new truck. It's an old truck. It's got 180 thousand miles on it. But you know what? It gets me from point A to point B. I can go hunting in it. And I don't have to worry about getting stuck because it's got four wheel drive. It's got air. The air blows cold and it plays music on the radio. I am thankful for my truck. But when I covet what someone else has, I say, I hate what I have. Lord, Lord, what I have is not good enough. I want what they have. It's an attitude of ingratitude. You know, when we're not thankful for what the Lord has provided for us, we look at what He's provided for others and we become mad god ultimately lord why didn't you give me that lord why can't you bless me like you blessed them instead we should be grateful grateful for everything that god has provided covetousness is a longing for other people's stuff it's an attitude of ingratitude and ultimately listen to this ultimately ultimately covetousness is idolatry covetousness is idolatry now the apostle paul twice in his letters equates covetousness with idolatry he just flat out causes covetousness idolatry colossians 3 5 put to death therefore what is earthly in you sexual immorality impurity passions evil desires and covetousness which is idolatry covetousness which is idolatry Ephesians 5 5 for you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous that is an idolater has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God wow covetousness that is idolatry those who are covetous have no place in christ's kingdom covetousness is idolatry you see covetousness values material possessions more than it values god covetousness values material possessions more than it values god this was the problem with the rich young ruler the rich young ruler you remember jesus talks to him in matthew chapter 19 he comes to jesus i'll just read it and behold a man came up to him The rich young ruler came to jesus and said to jesus teacher what good deed must i do to have eternal life and jesus said to him why do you ask me about what is good there is only one who is good if you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. He just lists five of them. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, if you would be perfect, go sell what what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions he loved his possessions more than he loved God he couldn't follow Jesus because he couldn't let go of earthly things covetousness is idolatry covetousness looks to God and says God you're not you're not enough you're not good enough I need the treasures of this world. I need the gold. I need the silver. I need the wonders of this world. I need material things that ultimately fade away. I need the fancy clothes. I need the fancy cars. I need the big house. I need the bank account full of money. I need that more than I need you. And it follows the schemes of this world to do whatever is necessary to possess more and more and more of this world. Because in the end, the one who covets worships the things of this world rather than the creator of this world. Covetousness is idolatry outwardly the rich young ruler he seemed to to have it all together right he 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 went to church he did everything right right He, he looked at his life and said oh yeah i've never i've never cheated on my wife i've obeyed my parents you know when i was in their house i obeyed them i've never killed anybody i've never lied in court i've never done any of that kind of stuff i'm good But his inward desires said he loved the things of this world more than he loved God. Covetousness is ultimately idolatry. How easy for it how easy is it for us to fall into covetousness? Kevin DeYoung is helpful here. He gives us four signs that you and I have a problem with coveting and this is on the back of your handout there if you want to look at those but kevin DeYoung says you might be coveting if you've hurt if you've hurt others in order to get more for yourself you've lied you've schemed you've done whatever that was necessary to get ahead i'm going to get that promotion no matter who it hurts in the process I'm going to advance in my career no matter who I crush in the process. I'm going to get more no matter who it hurts in the process. Number two, you might be coveting if you're, if you're preoccupied with making and accumulating more and more and more. All you think about is adding numbers to your bank account, building your portfolio, adding more toys to your collection, if that's all that you think about is getting more and more stuff, you may be coveting. Number three, you might be coveting if you're unwilling to give up what you already have. If you're unwilling to part from what you have, you might be coveting. If you're unable to to give and to be generous with what you have you might be coveting are you greedy or generous number four you might be coveting if there's if you're frequently grumbling about your house your spouse the quality or quantity of your possessions and the general state of your life are you always complaining are you always complaining wanting more wanting more why don't i have this why don't i have that come on god get with the program where's your blessings are you always complaining and you might be coveting covetousness is longing for other people's stuff it's an attitude of ingratitude and ultimately it is idolatry worshiping the things of this world rather than worshiping god so then what's the cure for covetousness what's the cure for covetousness paul gives us a good start in this in timothy 1 timothy chapter 6 verses 6 through 10 he kind of shows us a bit of the cure for covetousness here he says but godliness with contentment is great gain godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world never saw a haul behind a hearse but if you have if we have food and clothing with these we will be content but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation into a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and, and pierced themselves with many pangs. So, what is the cure for covetousness? Number one, it is godliness. Godliness. Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness, the pursuit of, of godly things, the pursuit of God and His kingdom. Matthew 6, 33, but seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other things, all your needs, all those things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That should be our number one pursuit in life. It's not the accumulation of more stuff, more stuff, more stuff. If God wants to bless us with more stuff, then praise God. But but if not, we're good with that because our main pursuit in life is God. He's our number one priority. He is a number one on our list. You You shall have no other gods before me. No other God ruling and reigning in your life. No other God driving you. Here's where the 10th commandment connects to the 1st commandment. Amen? We're, We're to have no other gods. We're to pursue God and His righteousness, His kingdom. That should be our first pursuit, period. And if all these other things come, then so be it. But we are happy and we rejoice when we have god because god is enough he is enough let me just say this if you seek worldly things first god's kingdom will take a seat back seat if you're seeking worldly things first if that's your your priority if that's your pursuit then godly things god's kingdom it becomes second it becomes secondary it becomes a thing well oh well i'll make it to church if i can i'll pursue my devotionals if i have time i'll read scripture if i get around to it if nothing else comes up you see when we seek things of this world when when covetousness rules our lives then god's kingdom becomes second at least second, maybe third, fourth, fifth, sixth, on down the line there. God's kingdom is no longer a priority. But let me say, but, but, but the reverse of that. But when God's kingdom is first. When, when God's kingdom comes first, then worldly things seem far less important. They seem far less important. Having a new truck seems far less important. When I'm focused on God. God wants to bless me with that good and great, but but just give me God. Focus on God. When we focus on God, then all of the things, what what he has, what she has, what, what our neighbor has, is less important. When we focus on God and his kingdom, let's not forget where your heart is or where your treasure is excuse me where your treasure is there your heart will be also where is your heart where is your heart what's your priority so the cure for for covetousness first of all is godliness second it is contentment godliness with contentment is great gain contentment first timothy 6 8 but if we have food and clothing with these things we will be content we will be content paul certainly understood what it meant to be content philippians 4 11 through 13 he, he tells the philippians there not that i'm speaking of being in need for i have learned in whatever situation i am in to be content he says i know how to be brought low and i know how to abound in, in any and every circumstance i have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need i can do all things through him through christ who strengthens me see that's contentment contentment is is knowing how to handle plenty Having more than enough and knowing how to handle that and and to, to use that for God's glory even. And contentment also knows how to handle when you're in need, when you have nothing, when you're stripped of all that. Paul knew that. He went up and down from one to the other over and over in his life. We have to learn to be content. Wherever you are in life, you need to learn to be content. You need to be content with what you have. Oh, it's okay if you desire something new. It's okay if you desire to advance. But can you say, if the Lord leaves me right here where I am, or even if the Lord strips away all that I have, can you say, I will be content? be content with whatever you have pursue godliness and seek contentment be content with what the lord has blessed you with and notice paul's source of contentment he's not just content in himself he's content in jesus christ he he makes that he points that out right i know what it means to have plenty i know what it means to have need to be starving and not having i know abundance i know poverty i know that paul says but i endure i can endure all things i can endure poverty i can en- endure abundance in christ who strengthens me you see it's key because we can't be content on our own our old fleshly desires wants more wants more wants more we can only be content when we trust in the power of jesus christ when he's the source of our contentment so the cure for covetousness is godliness is contentment and third it is gratitude it is gratitude it is an attitude of gratitude we had an attitude of ingratitude now we see the attitude of gratitude we need an attitude of gratitude being thankful for what you have being thankful for what you have first thessalonians 5 16 through 18 rejoice always pray without ceasing give thanks give thanks in all circumstances In all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Paul says, Be thankful in all circumstances. Praise God, give Him thanks in all circumstances. Not just when it's good, not just when there's plenty. He says, Be thankful to God in all circumstances, even when there's need. Even when you don't have enough. Even when you're thinking about where's the next food going to come from? How am I going to put food on the table this week? Paul says, be thankful. Be thankful. We need to be grateful for everything that God provides for us. We need to be thankful. Turn to God and give Him thanks. Quit longing and lusting for the things of this world and just be grateful for what you have. Because I guarantee you, especially here in the U.S., we don't have to think too hard to find someone who's got, got it worse off than we do. We should be thankful for everything that God has provided for us. do not lust after what you don't have rather give thanks to god for what he has blessed you with the cure for covetousness is is pursue godliness be content with what you have what god has provided and be grateful give god thanks for his wonderful blessings in your life love your neighbor by controlling your attitudes and your motives now the 10th commandment i want to bring this out the 10th commandment is the nail in the coffin on any sense of self-righteousness isn't it if you just take all the other commandments at face value you might come up with at least some sense of self-righteousness like that rich young ruler he looked at the ten commandments and he says oh well i'm good right i'm good i've never committed adultery i've never i've never murdered anyone i've never stolen anything i've never bore false witness i've never i've always honored my parents you know i did what they told me to do when i was a little lad under their their authority i did all of that he had this sense of self-righteousness about him yes lord i've done that i've done that outward thing i have that outward appearance But when it comes to motives, desires, and attitudes, suddenly you realize you're not that good after all. Truly, none are righteous. None are righteous, not even one. And because none are righteous, it is impossible for us to save ourselves through any kind of outward obedience it's absolutely impossible jesus disciples realized this fact going on in matthew 19 verses 23 through 25 and jesus said to his disciples truly i say to you only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven And again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when his disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? Who can be saved? Who indeed? When God judges not just the outward actions, but the the inward actions, inward intentions of our hearts who can be saved well thankfully jesus gives us the good news jesus looked at his disciples and he said to them with man this is impossible it is impossible for you to save yourself because you are unrighteous but with god all things are possible Here's the good news. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All, every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If we examine our hearts, oh yeah, we might can come up with say, oh, well, I've never killed anybody, never done that. But have you ever been angry with someone in your heart? guilty we are all guilty of god's law especially when it comes to the inward intentions of our hearts we're all guilty we've all fallen short nevertheless but we are justified by god's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in christ jesus you are a sinner i am a sinner we are guilty we are guilty of not just coveting, but we are guilty of breaking all of God's law. We deserve judgment for our sin. But praise be to God that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our covetousness, for all of our sins, so that we might have life in him. We defeat covetousness only when we look to Jesus and trust in him. Trust in Jesus Christ today. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your wonderful word, O oh Lord. Lord, we confess, we just confess that each and every one of us, we are guilty of breaking your law. We are guilty of covetousness. We are guilty of sinning in our hearts. Our wants and our desires have driven us to not just outward acts of sin, but further inward longing and lusting over the things of this world. But Lord, in Jesus Christ, You give us freedom from the guilt of sin and even the power of sin. As Paul says, we can do all things in Christ who strengthens us. Oh, Lord, let each and every one of us not try to pursue the law and keep the law in our own strength, but let us look to Jesus. Let us look to Jesus. Find our hope and our strength in him. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen.